0: Welcome to this episode of The Payments Show podcast. I'm your host Satwant Full, and today I'll be speaking to Willy Pang, who is the CEO and Managing Director at LimePay. LimePay is a brand-first payment platform that gives control, knowledge, and ownership of the customer experience back to brands. You'll find this episode to be useful if you want to offer multiple payment options to your customers without having to send them to external payment pages or alternative marketplaces. If you're new to the show, this podcast aims to help you increase sales conversions in your company through the latest payment technologies and platforms. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, Willie. Great to have you on.
1: Oh, what, a, what a wonderful privilege. Thank you for having me.
0: It's been an interesting time preparing for this one because your solution is, is very different and unique. So I'm looking forward to, to chatting over the
1: next hour or so. Great, I'm extremely excited. Any
0: questions before we
1: start? Uh, someone might. I uh, Just a, a, little, a little word of warning. The internet in Australia, or at least at our office, has been struggling a little bit today. So hopefully we don't have any drop-offs. But if we do, then it, it tends to drop off and then come back on pretty quick. So hopefully it doesn't create too much disruption for us.
0: Sure thing. And for anybody listening, if you don't know what the NBN internet project
1: <laughs> is in Australia... You, you are not just... missing out on much. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Tin cans and string come to mind.
1: (laughs) Indeed. I was thinking of
0: writing a book called How to Waste $54 Billion of Taxpayer Money. But uh, (laughs) I think there's been a lot of papers written on it already. Well, thanks for joining. Like I said earlier, I'm really looking forward to speaking to you about LimePay. And I think uh, I might set the scene before we kick off. So, Willie, you're the CEO and Managing Director of LimePay. And LimePay is a brand-first platform which gives control, knowledge, and ownership of the customer experience back to brands in the payment sense. And really your aim of LimePay is to help brands foster better relationships with their customers via the transactions they make with them. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think I've got a general idea of why LimePay was started. And I'm sure you'll correct me because some of these things may be wrong, Uh, but I'm going to have a go anyway. So, So... from my understanding, when a customer is buying something online, it's actually the payment brands such as PayPal or or Stripe or Afterpay or wh- however the customer is paying. They're often the brands that they see last before they leave and, and they've made their order. Uh, and, and it gets even worse if, for example, with PayPal, a customer is redirected to a separate payments page. So that often causes a lot of cart abandonment, which is another conversation altogether but let's say it doesn't, the, the thing is that the customer will have the payment brand in their memory as the last thing, as opposed to the, the retailer that they're buying from. And if the business tries to do anything about that and tries to customize the journey to improve that brand loyalty, there's very little customization options for a business for these big payment brands. And LimePay seems to address these issues and more, um, especially with your recent B2B focus from from what I gather. So yeah, it'd be great to hand it over to you to give us a bit of a, an overview of, have I got that right? Is that completely wrong? And in general, what, what LimePay was created for and what you're trying to do in the payment space.
1: Great. And so, well, that that's actually reasonably accurate, I think. Just to just to share a little bit more about the genesis of of our business, which is, and and we're a business that's really only two and a half years young we 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 really started the business to solve for three key things the first of which is what you've described which is that at the end of a uh, at the end of a customer journey which generally a corporation large or small has spent tons and tons of money on in building a website in managing an offline payment flow in optimizing a, a user experience only to then get to the end and there's a functional process there that then kicks you out to, uh, you know, a third party payment uh, provider. Uh, the example you used was PayPal. But if you think about the now, the plethora of what we call all the pays or the checkout spaghetti as another way to articulate it is, that uh, you know, everyone seems to be totally fine with sending their customer out to somebody else to, to then complete that payment process right so that and and we looked at that and thought gee that's that that seems a little bit um, counterintuitive the second thing we're solving for which is perhaps more important in more important but also something that's a little bit less understood is that that customer data as they go to the end of that payment process and go out to a third-party payment provider actually they lose sight of uh, you know that last mile customer journey from a customer data perspective what are they spending What's their propensity to spend? And if you think about actually the corporations and brands and and banks and so forth that I'm talking about, most of these organizations have spent literally millions and millions of dollars doing all of this front end analytics to try to get someone and really paying to come to their side and to buy their product. Only then at that point to lose all of that data and bleed it out to somebody else who, quite frankly, is is, is generally speaking, providing it back as slideware. And we think that that's a particularly interesting thing and then the third thing is that if you think about that payment experience and all of the options in that checkout spaghetti is that 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 checkout spaghetti actually creates an incredible level of both technical and operational tension for that for that organization to manage so you think about the number of psps that you then have to do a commercial deal with that you have to manage the technical integration for that you then have to maintain over time that you have to update that you have to blah, blah, blah. And so, so that piece of, of bringing together all of those PSPs and aggregating it into a simple solution, while also maintaining the customer data and keeping them in your customer flow, that was fundamentally what we created the business for um, at the beginning.
0: And you're not the founder of the company, I believe, or is that not correct?
1: No, so the, so the two founders, so the business, um, so the his, a little bit of the history of the business, it was founded by uh, a, a good friend of mine, Tim Dwyer, who came from a sort of e-commerce and marketplace and, and fashion background in retail. And uh, so we started, actually, the first time I met him, when LimePay was but a glimmer in his eye, was actually in in 2012. And so it's been cooking inside his mind for a long time. And so he and our other co-founder Josh uh, Josh Edis, who is our chief commercial officer now, uh, that I've been advising the boys for literally nine years on this journey. And it finally came to a point in in 2018 where we took a, a seed round of capital to go okay well let 's go uh, let 's go and create this thing, and so i 've been involved in the journey and then formally joined um, joined as originally as a non executive director on the board in two thousand and twenty when we were raising our, uh, when we were raising our, our sort of second round
0: and then you thought i can 't take this anymore, I need to control this ship.
1: Wow <laughs> uh, I think so and I think, I think it's more it's more that it's more that we uh, you know we could see the global opportunity and I think between the three of us as a, as a partnership, everyone brings something slightly different to the table of which of which the, the, the corporate management expertise is, is, is part of mine. So I was like, you know what boys, L- let me do that. you do your thing. I'll do my thing. we'll go and create a great business.
0: Yeah. yeah, I saw your work history. I think one of the companies you worked for was Hitwise, and I remember selling selling them servers back in the day when uh, you were growing rapidly <laughs> in the early, early 2000s or mid-2000s, yeah.
1: Early 2000s, so, 100%. So, been, I've been building businesses and playing with customer data now for the better part of 20 years, and as I've looked at the payment industry sort of grow and grow, I know it's it's kind of it, it, it has its genesis comes from the banking and financial services industry, but then there's this whole other world of money that was spent building experiences, and I, it's, it's astounded me how two, these two things have never materially connected. People still run a lot of money. Let's uh, give you an example. You and I might spend a million dollars a year building a website with uh, Adobe, and then we have several hundreds of millions of dollars worth of transactions living in a payments ecosystem over here, and that actually those two things they actually never connect at all, which is, which has been a source of frustration from, uh, of mine for over a decade. now.
0: I think it's a whole bunch of things melting together which has led to more development in the last five ten years than ever before. I think it's a combination of cloud computing, APIs, and just the ease of which, with which people can... Spin up things and connect them together. I think I think it's a mixture of all of them, isn't it? Hundred percent. So I wanted to sort of set the scene in, in in people's minds in terms of what your solution does. First of all, you've got buy now pay later, pay now pay later. You've got install payments, subscriptions. So this is a very it's a very flexible payment solution, and you're pretty focused on the markets that you target as well so you've got mid-market customers you've got vertical partnerships for bigger organizations and and fintech platforms and and financial institutions as well so that's quite a a focused list there you're not don't seem to be just targeting anyone and everyone so it would be great to to discuss how you're helping businesses in in that very focused way and what you're trying to achieve there in the market
1: so, so let me uh, let me try to give it to you as succinctly as I possibly can. The, the, so, the core platform that we've built, and we are, uh, I guess, at its core, we are an enterprise software business that's living in happens to be living in fintech. And really, what we're saying is that we are um, we are enabling what we call full stack payment solutions. So, you mentioned some of the payment methods before. Actually, what we're saying is all of If you have a customer of any shape and size, a consumer or a business, we can allow for you to be able to take payment from them, allow for them to pay in any way that they want uh, or however they want to pay in one seamless experience is, is, is fundamentally it. And that solution encompasses a couple of things. One is we have, for want of a better word, built somewhat of a CMS for payments on one side. So you can say, okay, I've got a content management system on a pick from my payment methods. I want to take a credit card payment. I want to take a buy now pay later uh, of any shape or size. I want to take an open banking payment. I want to take a crypto payment. I want to take a direct debit, whatever it happens to be. We can go, we can enable all those things in your country. The second thing is there's a core payment orchestration layer in the middle, which is all about centralizing and simplifying the payment acceptance process. so we're integrated with a number of the uh, you know I, I use this word very kindly the commoditized payment processing guys in Payfax or we're working with Stripe we're working with Checkout as an example and we're able to take card card either either card present or non-card present payments online or, for, or offline in 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 sort of one integrated backend and then and then what we've got is uh, the ability to ingest and, and integrate with in your country, as an example, if we're in the UK versus working in South Africa versus working in Australia, all of the other bits and bobs and the complexity of taking a payment or making a lending decision in KYC and or disbursements and stuff like this is we can in then integrate with either a piece of technology that you have, you might be a retail bank in your country and we can use your KYC capability or we can bring ours or we can use a third party um, provider, right? So think of it as one stack. We've ingeniously named the product solution stack. So that payment stack itself will allow for you a, front, a flexible front end, a very fast and efficient middleware layer, and then the flexibility to integrate whatever technology you want in the back end. And we can deliver all of this via APIs. And hence, right at the front of that proposition is that we deliver all of this brand first in that it's invisible to your customer. You can integrate it however you like. You can pick and choose from uh, all of the things that I've just described in order to build the right product capability for your customer. Okay,
0: fantastic. We'll talk about some case studies a bit later on because you've got some fantastic ones in in very different industries. But before we do, let's talk a bit more about the solution. So white labeling and embedding your solution directly at the the checkout is, is very powerful. But there's a lot of additional information that customers can get, which like you said earlier, companies like PayPal, etc., would have had before in, in their databases. So things like dashboards and analytics being a fly on the wall during the payment process and the customer ID to, to, to know who you're selling to. So it would be great for you to give some insights there because I'm sure you've seen some very interesting trends, which may not be obvious to people using the PayPal's and stripes of the world.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So I think um, statement number one is that, of course, we, like every other, I guess, payments tech business, have all of the standard transactional metrics, i.e., volume of transactions, frequency of transactions, so on and so forth. Right. That's kind of not that 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 is the kind of ticker box basic stuff. Where where we start to see some really interesting things is that in in also providing what we call credit as a service, i.e., the le- the lending capability. So you've got a couple of different options, right? You've got uh, taking a payment in full or providing uh, a, a consumer or business lending bid. in that lending decisioning, actually the type of things that we can glean from that, uh, people's propensity to spend, their likelihood to spend more, their likelihood to buy again. So a lot of a lot of organisations, especially big e-commerce businesses, spend a lot of t- their time resources and capital on getting to some level of propensity analysis and this is it, it's still a reasonably nascent part of our technology proposition but we absolutely see it as the future which is hey this is that one he came and he bought a pair of shoes actually could could we have sold him a different pair of shoe? would he have bought two pairs if we had offered him a different price and and how and how long before his next? How long before his? How long after his next pay run will he buy his next pair? And so that bit there is particularly interesting. And what we've seen in as a as a I guess a proof point for our proposition around the brand first is. Um, so Savon, you've been following. You know that the affirms, Clanners, afterpays of the world on the consumer facing BNPL side uh, have done really well. Their core customer set. Is, is a slightly female skew. Let's call it a, a nineteen to twenty five female customer buying fast fashion is kind of the heartland of where that where where that buy now pay later customer started. What we see actually is when the brands offer their own branded solution as a, a buy now pay later, we'd like to call paying installments to get rid of some of the smelliness of the of the of the general perception of it is that the pain's installments capability, when the brands launch it themselves, it tends to be an older cohort of customers. Because quite frankly, if you and I tried to get our mums to download um download Planet's app, right? And let's say Mum is still reasonably young in her mid-sixties, download the app, go through the kerfuffle of setting that up and then go and deploy that when she's buying crockery, right? As an example, there's terrible stereotypes, but I'll run with it is it? Is it? the truth is they they just never do that so but if they went to their favorite brand of dinnerware actually because they're our, our core thesis is that the consumer loves the brand that they love and so they get there and they go to click out to pay and then they say hey you could buy you could pay for it now or alternatively you can pay for it in four easy installments what we see is that when the brand offers it themselves they tend to have an older cohort that ends up spending more as well and comes back more frequently and and more importantly, and I guess for us in our business model, one of the things we might touch on later on is around regulation, is that it tends to be a more sophisticated customer, so default risk is lower, and that's real. That's that's a really important differentiation because as we think about the, the kind of broader buy now pay later industry and some of the challenges facing some of the larger global players that are public in the space, is that is that that the very young cohort. Someone, my son is 13 years old. He thinks that money are just digits on a screen. Like he's never touched physical coin before. He doesn't know anything about that. So so anyway, in many ways, our proposition is built to allow our, for these brands to unlock a much wider cohort of customers. So there's a very long-winded answer, by the way.
0: No, no, that's, that's great. I mean, it's quite relevant right now because Klarna, for those of you listening in the future, Klarna has... Announced recently that they're laying off, I think, 10% of their staff worldwide. And it's because their profitability is not there. I'm sure you'll have more insights than me, Willie. But okay, it's great to have all these sales through the platform with that younger cohort, but it's the boomers and everybody else that has the money. (laughs) So. It plays to to what you're saying. So you know when when they're when they're shopping, they've actually got real cash, and so in the in the long term, your business model will probably win out in the end. I mean, who knows if zero percent money lasts forever? But that's my guess.
1: <laughs> profitable, <laughs> profitable profitable well, zero, business it should win <laughs> in the end. Well, zero percent money is uh, that has become uh, almost that disappeared overnight and yeah. so that that's just a reality of where you know global capital markets are at right now and so that that is first and foremost um one of the pitfalls of dealing with that cohort of customer so that you know that is that is definitely something to something that we consider the, the other things i want that we, we think is particularly interesting is that if you elevate out of what that competitive landscape looks like right now is that there are there are two trillion dollar marketplaces trillion dollars one, one in the B2C space in, the, in so much that we, we think that as regulatory frameworks become, become real because Afterpay slash block was a good example of this. If you looked at their last quarterly results and they got a very severe slap on the wrist, as has Plano, obviously, is, is that in, in their results, if you look a little bit deeper, the quarter-on-quarter growth of consumer take-up is still astounding. We're still talking 30% growth, which means that to me, paying in installments, it firstly is, is not gonna go away. As that for the younger ho- cohort of customers as an alternative to credit, the truth is they like it. So it's not going away. The question then therefore becomes, what is the right business model? If you ask of all of the consumer-facing businesses that are subscaled in every market around the world, whether that be UK, Australia, Japan, it doesn't matter, America, and then you ask of them to then suddenly meet the regulatory and compliance requirements that a bank has to in order to provide a lending lending, uh, offer or a product, the truth is that three-quarters or more of those businesses will go out of money because it's they're they're, they're already unprofitable so it just accelerates the pace at which they're losing money right and so our core proposition which which i absolutely believe in is that long term if you roll forward and say you and i as young guys we still want buy now pay later but who has the scale the expertise and the capability to win in that environment if you roll through to 2025 or beyond someone's going to be a bank so barclays is probably or Lloyds is probably going to win in the UK in the midterm. It's just a question of when. Why? Because their cost of capital is lower. They know how to handle the lending decisioning, and they can manage default rates in a way that, quite frankly, none, none, none of the other fintech businesses can. So that 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 to me. Is a trillion dollar growth opportunity where banks move in. And that's why we've built our technology. I was talking about some of our target capability, is that our technology is there to ena- enable the bank to get to, to get to it faster. Because we also know banks building technology is not their core skill set right now. And so it's both slow and expensive, right? And which is where which is where I think you know some of the some of those consumer facing BMPLs have kind of Made the jump. Afterpay is a great example out here in Australia. Absolutely beat the banks to a pump on that. Fine, races run. Then the second, then the second part, which I think is even more interesting, is that the the concept of the concept of the pain installments as a way because fundamentally all it is is about managing cash flow, right? So if you extend that into B two B payments, then someone we're talking about another trillion dollar marketplace where the world has 40%, the world has 40% four zero percent of payments still being made with a bloody check, with a check. I don't know. So when you, you, you're, you're an Aussie for all intents and purposes, right? And we don't use checks anymore. It's like 0.02% of payments. It's just not a thing. But if you take us out of our country, Tons of businesses are still literally writing checks to one another. So think about the digital revolution coming to that multi-multi-trillion-dollar ecosystem. The opportunity there is absolutely astounding. So, um, so yeah. Uh, again, I, you know, for for me, I think th- those two those two spots are, are going to be very interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It always astounds me how everything is check focused in the states. I don't see as many checks in the UK anymore. I don't think I've seen or heard people using them for for many years, but in the US especially, uh, I was talking to previous guests in the states and they said it's because they've they've got these processes embedded, these legacy systems. So if you're going to issue a refund to a customer, it's just hardwired into mm. the process and it's almost impossible to rip it out. So yeah, the opportunity is massive and and especially B2B. So even if even if checks weren't used that widely if you look at the average b2b payments process you know sending off an email with an invoice pdf attached or anything like that so even if it was all electronic it's still terrible i'd love to talk about some case studies that you have because i just love the, the the sheer variety so you've got on your website examples that that most people would expect for buy now pay later so you've got a company called sportitude they had a 23% increase in their basket size since they implemented your solution. You've got stone crystals, not the kind of crystals that um, people might be thinking about. 24%, I think it's
1: jewellery, 24%, <laughs> 24% average Maybe. order value increase.
0: Um, so you had some, some great retail stories there, which, which, which I would suspect. But if we, if we flip over to some interesting case studies that you've got especially in the b2b space you've got an australian company called domain group they're involved in in real estate and there's some really interesting stats there and what you've done with them and your most your latest case study which your colleague jessica informed me about before the show was was a company called reese and they're a leading supplier of bathroom and plumbing products in australia so it would be good. I mean, feel free to talk about the retail examples that you've got because they're fantastic. But it would be great to see what's a real estate company doing on pay? You know, what, what what value do they see? Why are they using you guys? And then same question again for, for Reese.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I think, so just to, uh, because I don't take it lightly, I think I'd, the heritage of our business was, that it was in that retail e-commerce space where, you know, our solution is still ideal for that. Sector and oh, and that and that type of customer, and and you know, I think for us, as we see, our view is that as the market matures and the incrementality, we talk about this a lot. So, I want, is in the early days, everyone plugged in a third-party payment provider because they could promise that they would bring a bunch of customers because they essentially own the own ecosystem, right? So, it's just a supply and demand thing. And I don't think that's going to go away soon. I think that, that that's true. But as it starts, even in Australia, as we start to see the maturing a maturing of the marketplace, is that re- retail retail e commerce businesses have have sort of realised. Oh, in the old days, where I'm giving up four percent, six percent, eight percent, nine percent of margin. To and afterpay as an example, because they're bringing me a disproportionate number of customers, and then therefore I'm going to make more money. I, I think those days are starting. If it hasn't flattened out and started to decline, it certainly is on its way. And so we do feel like retail, retail e-commerce businesses at some point over the next 24 months will wake up and go, actually, I want to own my customer. And we and we are we are poised to sort of help them with that. Um, I, I think to talk about the other examples. So domain for listeners, I'm not sure where 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 the listeners uh, are around the world. Someone, but you know whether it's a Zillow or, or a Right Move, these guys are sort of the equivalent, right? So what we're doing with domain in the in the real estate space is, is actually really quite interesting. So prop tech, and, and this is part of our core proposition is we can move sector to sector building up a peat payments ecosystem for a leader. So you take a right move as an example, what we've what we've created is the ability for them to go out to a to a to someone who's selling their home and their realtor or real estate agent and say to them, hey guys, you know what costs you ten thousand pounds to list your list your home, to get some furniture in there and so on and so forth. And instead of having to pay that upfront, what we do is we work with the agent and we say, you know what, guys, what we'll do is as you're listing that, we'll provide you with a product that allows for you to pay for that in 100 days time ish, which means it's much closer to your settlement date. And it makes total sense. There's no customer, you know, we, we envisage that customer take up or, or home seller take up could end up being as high as 50 percent because all we're doing is saying, hey, I've an asset that I'm going to sell. It's only going to sell nice. I want to smooth out my cash flow and push that out until I actually get to recoup my cash. And that makes total sense. And that and we built that bespoke product from them off of our core platform. And it's in over the course of the of, of the last twelve months has really started to really started to accelerate. And it started in home in sort of listing and marketing costs. What we're starting to move towards are providing providing forward cash flow solutions for rental bonds and strata fees and so in that ecosystem there's lots of money flowing around. Always saying to people and consumers, people who own homes, rent homes, sell homes, is to go, hey guys, you're gonna part with cash. Do you want to part with that cash right now? Or for a small fee of four or five percent? Would you rather keep that cash in your own pocket? And uh, and the take up's been amazing. So that 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 was where we started. Now the Reese example is uh, is is our next um, you know the first one, uh, so on. They said they reckon the first one could have been a fluke, right? And but the, it, once you get your second one, then it's a real business. And so with Reese, what we're launching is uh, a thing called Ladder Pay. And what Ladder Pay provides is it's a solution for tradespeople, plumbers, electricians, builders, so on and so forth. When they go out, when they go out and uh, do some work at a consumer's place. And let's say they've installed a new water heater and it costs $2,000 is to be able to instantaneously say to them with one solution, uh, do you want to just give me your credit card now and do you want to pay for it now upfront, or do you want to pay for it uh, over, you know, over 60 days, 90 days, whatever it happens to be that, that they want to pay for. And so, again, that's, that's simply leveraging that same enterprise software technology set that I described into a very specific use case for their industry. And the thing that really astounded me and uh, for listeners around the world, please forgive me if I I sound, you know, Australia is a place of kangaroos and snakes that eat you and things like that. Everyone knows that in Australia, everything kills you, right? But uh, what I will say is, is in, in that industry, in, in the bathroom plumbing supplies, particularly for plumbers, is that there are some people still using the old carbon, Carbon clack clack machine to take credit card details. Wow, I did not know that. Unbelievable, right? In the in the days where in the days now yes. where you know you've got Square and people bring out their little sexy you kind of tap to go, tap to pay solutions, you still have so the, so the variation of, of of payment methods of people and, and ways that people are collecting payment is unbelievably archaic. And so what we're doing in that partnership with Reese is allowing for them to create a new solution.
0: And actually, now that plastic cards are being issued without the embossed numbers, those people with using the uh, carbon machines are going to have to get up to speed pretty
1: quick. I 100%. But this is just going back to the disruption, right? The, the digital revolution is coming for the for that industry.
0: Yeah. Resist all you, all you can, but it, it, you're going to have to move on or or, or get disrupted by a younger newer company i suppose exactly i was smiling earlier at the real estate example with domain because you said it's a huge opportunity but that's an understatement because properties a religion in australia now and the 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 politicians want to keep that bubble going forever it seems like so um the the, the opportunity is astronomical
1: 100
0: so we talked a lot about regular inverted comma businesses brick and mortar businesses you talked about real estate etc i think the third and final type of customer you work with would be would be good to talk about fintech platforms and financial institutions and would be good to to see what you're doing there because there's a big opportunity for, for banks to accelerate digital transformation as you said so what kind of initiatives and projects are you working on that you're allowed to talk about not top secret black projects, of course, <laughs> unless you want to. Um, so yeah, that, that that would be a good sort of area to to, to finish on with with regards to the solution. Then we will talk about a few lighter topics and some topical things.
1: Great. So so someone we're we're super excited. We think this is where the the real the real enterprise value growth lives for our business over the next uh, you know one two three years. And and I'll give you an example. So so in twenty twenty one. In, in the height of COVID craziness, there, there is an investment bank in San Francisco called FT Partners. They are the largest fintech IB in the world. They produce a piece of research talking about buy now, pay later, what, and, and come up with this little triangle, as I do, right? I come up with a little triangle of who's playing in the ecosystem. They talk about consumer. You think about the affirms, climbers, and so forth, the consumer-facing BNPLs. They talk about the vertical BMPL, so people providing, you know, uh, companies like Before Pay in Australia who are providing kind of salary advances and you know, so on and so forth. And then they talk about white label payments enablement, uh, so companies who have technology that can allow for that can allow for people to build their own products. So they published this in June or July, something like that, twenty twenty one. And over the over the subsequent four months, we receive no less than nine inbound calls from the largest banks in the world. So, uh, I'll, you know, naming naming some of those guys as an example, the Bank of America's and the uh, and the Barclays and so on and so forth, Wells Fargo's, and the banks uh, and the banks say to me, uh, Willie, we know that we are behind the eight ball we uh, are in a process now where we're we're seeking to accelerate our our game plan because all, all the things i discussed around the disrup- dis- disruption of the the credit products for younger cohorts of customers they're like we we're seeing what afterpay has done in australia we don't want to get crushed and so we know we can win help us and and off the back of that we someone is a little bit too early to talk about just now but we we will be launching our first bank partnership in the coming months uh, enabling one of the big global banks to go and uh, and build their own buy now pay later capability in two ways both as a consumer facing bnpl product branded and also a B2B pain installments capability for enterprise uh, inst- and institutional banking customers. And we really like this because what we're doing is, as I, was, as, I was very, um, as, as I was explaining in a very long-winded way before, is that we're enabling the banks to leverage their balance sheet and literally a 100 years worth of lending experience and all of the capability around that. And tying it to our flexible front ends to build them custom flows to enable them to launch products that are branded themselves. And we literally are shortening what would otherwise be a 12, 18, 24 month build process into 14, 18 weeks. And we operate that model as an enterprise software proposition to, to those guys, right? So in many ways, we see ourselves as, and, and uh, so I'm not sure if you're a gin and tonic type guy. We everybody knows that
0: I absolutely and, am,
1: and I'll bet you you know that in a gin and tonic, it's not actually the gin that makes a difference; it's the tonic, right? But everyone orders the gin, right? And so, from our perspective, uh, that's why know, Fever
0: we, Tree's that's why Fever Tree is doing so well. That's the only one I have.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, so from our perspective, we see ourselves as the tonic. We we know that the bank is the gin, or the or the FI or the fintech business that has mass distribution. They are the gin. Our job is. As an as an enterprise SaaS um, provider, just to provide them with the capability, and and you know we we hope that we can help them make um, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars.
0: Amazing. Well, big things to come there, and I'm looking forward to see the the, the progress and and what you're doing globally uh, as you expand. Actually, on that note, you obviously you're in Australia, but what markets do you currently operate right now?
1: So we uh, So our, our headquarters are, are here. We uh, are also servicing. The African continent, Southeast Asia, America, and uh, or North America, and and the UK. And a little bit of the Eurozone.
0: That was more than I thought. Great stuff. And one final question. This will be quick. Getting started. So if somebody listening wants to use your or implement your solution, I know you have some integrations into software like WooCommerce and Magento, and then you've launched Stack. So I'd, I'd guess... I suppose like previous solutions I've had or guests I've had on the podcast, they say if your solution can be hooked up with APIs, it's quite quick, maybe weeks. And if it's a legacy solution, it might take a few months you know, or, 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 or longer, just depending on the organization. I guess it's the same for you.
1: And, and I think um, months is, is not really in our vernacular. Um, so when we try to build it to be as uh, low-code, no-code as possible, so integration, I would say, on average, is somewhere between four to six weeks, irrespective of what that what the legacy architecture looks like. Great.
0: I wanted to just finish on something topical. We, we've talked about B2B digital payments and how big the opportunity is. I wanted to touch on, really, the Australian payment space, because it might be good for international listeners to know why so much payment innovation is coming out of Australia. And... There's just been an election there and, and there's been a, a change in, in, in party that's going to be governing. And just wondered if you had any sort of insights or, or comments on what might be changing d- due to the change in government. I saw today that the C, which is the competition commission, they're suing Mastercard for anti-competitive conduct. So there's quite a few interesting things going on. But yeah, do you have, any, have do you have any comments around that? Because legislation is obviously so important, especially if you're in the lending space.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I, I would say that um, in many ways, Australia is punching above its weight. It, it, it is one of the most advanced payments slash fintech ecosystems in the world. A, a, a lot of that has got to do with the fact that I think the bank, our banks have done a good job, maybe not the best job, but a good job of, of innovating. And also that the regulatory environment makes it a, a safe place to play. Right as a as as a sort of general statement, I'd also say that consumers here are are te- you know typically and so on. You and I, and through our careers, have worked in tech businesses where we've always viewed Australia as kind of the safe playground. And actually, atrib- from an attribution standpoint, is very similar to the UK, very similar to North America in many ways. But being like you know two fifths of very little, it's also you know if you fail, it it, it kind of doesn't matter very much. I say that with a lot of love uh, and respect for for my my industry and my my country here. Um, But, you know, I do think that uh, if we unpack a couple of your questions there, do I think that the politics of this country will necessarily define what the roadmap looks like? I don't think so. I think we are inspired by, you know, the biggest things coming to our country over the next couple of years. I mean, open banking is lagging behind where the UK is at, and I think we will likely see some acceleration in that space here, especially where things like GDPR and and where Europe is at from a kind of pri- privacy perspective. Australia is not yet at that point, which which, in the most respectful way gives us a little bit more leeway to play. So I think that we'll see some, some acceleration in the open banking front. And then I think uh, secondly is that, uh, uh, you know, I think capital... And I'm very proud of this. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, companies like Afterpay that have do, done a wonderful job of building multi-multi-billion-dollar organizations, is that while the ecosystem is brave and bold and reasonably mature, is that I think we'll continue attracting capital into this country to allow for entrepreneurs or, or entrepreneurial organizations like mine to, to be able to build stuff that can scale globally. And and I think we'll see more of that over the next um, you know,
0: three, six, twelve months. Yeah, excellent. So, if people want to get in touch with LimePay, the website is limepay.com.au, and on Twitter it's at limepayments. And customers can book a consultation with you guys as well. Did you want to talk about anything else around that in terms of engaging and implementing your services?
1: Yeah. Look, I, I, I'm. You know, we welcome conversations. Of course, we're a very humble small business at this point. So, so we'd love we'd love to hear more from listeners. And of course, if you want to reach me, then SAP one is your man. You know, if I think if you if you say one, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm putting you I'm putting you on the spot here. But if people can either email you or or send you messages and 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 or and or find us on on LinkedIn, we'd love to we'd love to have a chat.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. If you need help to improve your payment systems, please get in touch by visiting my website at digitalmoneylab.com. You'll also find the contact details in the show notes for this episode. Once again, the website is digitalmoneylab.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.